Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the pod. And before we get going today, I want to focus on you, the listeners, because um, a massive thank you for for all your comments and getting involved, um, especially on Spotify, where we've got this new um, function for uh, this poll polling function. And looks like you're really enjoying it. So I want to say, first off, a big thank you. Get involved. Check it out if you haven't already. But whatever platform um, you're listening to your podcasts on, make sure you rate and review the podcast. That's the most important thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we like the five-star ones. Yes. Not the one-star <laughs> ones. We do, we still appreciate those, but we don't appreciate them as much as the five-star ones. Yeah, we Constructive just criticism will be accepted, but we prefer sycophantic praise. Yeah, five stars, please. Nicely put. Right, so you've heard two of the other three voices we've got in the studio today, uh, Rowan Horncastle and Ollie Q, of course, but we've got a debutant. It's Greg Potts. Our staff writer. Our staff writer, Greg Potts, making his debut in the booth because he's got some stories to tell us. But we thought, why not come around, uh, come along rather, stick around for the entire pod and get to know him. He's a great guy. Thanks for having me. Actually, well, you can make <laughs> your own mind up in about exciting. 40 minutes time. Yeah. And for the people who are not aware of like magazine titles, staff writer, basically, that means that's that's the role where you're flown all around the world and your relationships are tested and your, <laughs> and your social life is tested. As at the drop of a hat, Jack will say, oh, can you fly to Japan and write this story for us? And you say, yeah. Yes, uh, in fact, basically. we may have to just stop the pod halfway through. You've got your passport with you at all times. Yes, you? yeah, I'm ready Top to go. Man. It's that international rescue. <laughs> Any minute the swimming pool opens and he just flies off <laughs> on a mission. Pen and notepad in hand. Cool. So this podcast is, this is the big one. This is the big issue pod. We're focusing on issue 372. I always say that with some trepidation. I think I've got it right. Issue um, 372. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's go around the table, um, find out what we've been up to. Ro, want to lead us off? I've been getting bunged up. I've got lots <laughs> of snot in my Say nose. It feels like, yeah. I, I don't know if it's hay fever or stress, but uh, what have I been doing? I've been organising a lot of stuff and paperwork, which is probably a side of the people don't see on the glamorous uh, elements of social media is what's involved to make shoots happen. And uh, Jack and myself and a few others were off to America for a big trip, a crusade of content. Yeah, uh, which a also <laughs> content. That's love it. Love but it. Americans, they love insurance. They love paperwork. So I've been doing a lot of that, but. In my spare time, I've been riding the new Ducati Desert X because it's bike season, everybody. The sun's going to come out eventually. So I've been trying not to fall off one of those. Um, well, to be honest, it's a, it's a bike designed for bad conditions, isn't it? It's, it's, it's an enduro racer, right? Yeah, it's Ducati's like first full off-road bike, <laughs> which is it. great for bopping off uh, speed bumps in London and going down to the countryside. But I've, yeah, I've been going into little bike holes. I've also been looking at, do you know about baggers and bagger racing? Harley Davidson, like massive oh, Harley Davidson races. Indian in the US. Yes, yeah, exactly. Greg Potts. He's been down the same YouTube hole as me. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to, mainly bike related and paperwork. So. I'm massively jealous, actually, because that Ducati Desert X, when it was first released, oh, I was all over it online. I mean, I still am. I just, I've cooled off a little bit. But um, it's fantastic. It's, it's basically got an extra fuel tank so you can do extra long runs on it it's got all the kit you could need to basically compete in the dakar almost 
And yeah, I'm obsessed with it and I live in South London and I would have no plans to take it anywhere near a desert. Yeah, I think it's the right bike for me. Yeah, it's kind of got a real retro, the Lucky Strike uh, livery was when it was initially launched, but they've just redone it in black. Yeah. And it's like Darth Vader's and I think it might be a bit of a big boy bike though. Uh, And when I say big boy, I literally mean big boy. (laughs) My legs are really quite short. Would I be able to stand up? No, no. I'm six (laughs) foot two. I could barely put my feet down as well. So you just kind of have to pray and uh i wouldn't yeah. know a rally chopper from a higher booster so don't look at me i've no, done nothing about two anyway, wheels at all we should talk about cars what have you been up to i've been mainly talking to the police ah. no. um it's not been a fun month um for readers regular readers of the magazine you'll know about the long termers their top gear garage the cars we report on every month in the back of the magazine and of course if you head over to topgear.com and tap on the garage tab you can read all our extended feature length updates there you might be familiar we've been running an audi s3 um, which has been quite normcore, hasn't it? Quite normal, keeps itself to itself. Yeah. So it decided to liven things up this month by getting stolen from my house. So it's been a rather stressful month as I've been having the back of my house boarded up and speaking to a lot of police officers and learning all about how to deter scumbags from nicking your car. So was it a sort of heroic struggle? They came in the back door, you sort of ran at them, tussle on the kitchen floor. I'd love to see it. It's like, say it's like, you know, you should see the other guy. Moment. But no, I was out and someone climbed into the back garden, literally smashed my back door in and um, headed off with the keys, having climbed out the window. So, um, yeah, so it's it's been fascinating learning all about, well, what can you do? Should you get a burglar alarm? No, say the police, because, well... What do the listeners do? What do you do, guys, when you hear a burger alarm going off? Do you, you know, don your cape and run outside? Or do you just go, God, that's annoying. I wish they'd, you know, and turn the radio up. But the car's been recovered, right? Oh, um, yeah. What, what I, okay, let's just cut to the happy ending. Yeah, we got the car back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but, but what I found fascinating, they nick it, drop it off under a bridge somewhere, wait for a certain amount of time to see if anyone claims it. If they don't, then it's on a ship to wherever it's going yeah it's getting stripped it's getting sold for parts and it's off but luckily this car because Audi quite sensibly um, wants to know what we're up to in the cars most of the time as well um, it had a tracker on it so by activating the tracker even on a Saturday night um, Lincolnshire police God bless them were able to ping where the car was and go and pick it up on a tow truck so not a nice experience as anyone out there you know who has had intruders in your house or had stuff nicked will know um it feels feels pretty awful you feel pretty violated but a bit of a happy ending here the good guys did win got the car back and if you want a load of tips on what is the best way to keep your house secure what products work what really doesn't what should you do um if you're worried about your car being stolen head to topgear.com go to garage read the report and um sneak peek don't own an audi because they are catnip and how violated was the car did mike and the boys have their way in the back seat (laughs) mike and the boys having a go (laughs) no just just don't put a uv light on the car is unscathed apart from the you know like in the roof there's the where you have the interior light and the sos panel so if you bin it you hit that button and it calls you know the cavalry for you that panel is missing because they obviously thought ah oh, bet if it has a tracker it'll be in there so someone somewhere if you see a very reasonably priced audi s3 interior light on ebay <laughs> give it back it's mine <laughs> so what was the car do they know what it was used for? was it used in a robbery or like something else what was the purpose of nicking the car well, because, yeah, if like, like Jack's saying, because they, you know, leave it in case it's recovered. If it, if it hadn't been recovered in the next few days, then, yeah, that's what the police are saying. An Audi S3, it's four-wheel drive, it's fast, it's pretty practical. You know, they've been reading the Top Gear Garage reports and thinking, this sounds like just a ticket for a cash point job. So that's what they'll do. It'll go and live a, a life of crime and then it'll get sold off for parts. But they have to 
the critical thing once you've nicked it, I feel like I'm giving more tips on how to steal cards at the moment <laughs> rather than how to stop it. But yeah, the critical thing is you need to make sure that it's not being followed. As the police say, that the car's not hot. I learned a lot of the, the lingo over this. You know, the, if the car's still hot, once, it's, once the trail's gone cold, then you're away with it. But, but, um, on no, this, but, but that startup car is, you know, hot BMW. Oh, small, yeah, to crims, isn't oh, it? I'm using the word hot now, but Golf mm. R's went through a massive like, oh, yeah. fashionable stage. Of yeah, a neighbour of mine well. had one stolen a few years ago. Same thing. It was left 10 miles up the road and um, brought back uh, a day or two later. It's just... Yeah, in the same as like in the 80s or the 90s, it was Fords, wasn't it? It was RSs and Cosworths, and that was the, the Joyrider generation. Now it's all these DSG, VAG hot hatches. Um, unfortunately, you just can't have one anymore. Right, Greg, up to much? Yeah, have you been speaking to the police? You I normally speak to them. Not this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not this week. Uh, I've been driving some naturally aspirated V8 Lexuses. It's been wow. uh, Lexi. proper throwback. <laughs> Lexi, Lexus. Uh, in, in what bodies? For were, business were or pleasure? <laughs> yeah, just pleasure. It was uh, the LC500, which is a fantastic looking car still. Still on sale. Remember it, folks. Yeah, has um, anyone bought one? But yeah. they are absolutely fantastic. If you go into the feed and listen to the New York Auto Show podcast, yes, we walked past one. I just said, "God, that does." Yeah, you had a moment. Fantastic car. Yeah. Oh, is is that is that in danger of being a car journalist's car? Because oh, 100%. 100%. As soon as it 100%. came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone should buy these. Uh, they sell three. Look at it. It's a lazy, naturally aspirated V8. Gorgeous to look at. <laughs> How much? No, no I'm not going to buy one. I'm just going to stand uh, yeah, over and, here uh, It's here. perfect in green. We have to have green over town. So, Greg, hang on. So, that's not a new car. Why have you been driving it? I've been doing updates for the uh, Top Gear reviews online. So, which have is, Lexus uh, actually updated it? They have. I drove the one before it was updated, and then they updated it. Um, so essentially, we drove the one which is now off sale, but yeah. you can still buy one, which so is very updates good. Updates for make model reviews online, also known as Greg's foolproof way of just booking in any car he wants, especially exactly. ones with V8. Well, that's the thing. As a staff writer, you need to get depth with and across all of the cars on sale. So mm. that is a lucky part no, of his job. Very, very, very sensible. And then we had so, an RCF in too. We had an RCF to follow. Because I saw God, that in the car park. on sale. Yeah. yeah. And it had a brand new place on it. And I saw it in the car park. I went, I'm having that tonight, please. Because <laughs> it is just so rare to have a naturally aspirated V8. And I remember when that car was launched. And it looks tiny now. Yeah. compared to everything else but it's got a very aggressive Lexus front grille on it lots of shiny bits but I was just interested in how that engine feels nowadays it's super interesting isn't it yeah, it's great fun I mean the gearbox feels old but the engine is a proper masterpiece and I was trying to think I think we only get that and the Mustang as sort of under 100 grand naturally aspirated V8s on sale in the UK and it's just such a two stage V8 of being slightly like sluggish at the low end you have to get yeah. it going which yeah. is just you're so used to open. yeah you're just so used to turbocharge yeah. like low end torque I, I love Greg's sort of affordable consumer yeah. advice there <laughs> where he's like man of the people you know there's only two cars I'm talking under 100 grand I'm talking in reality here exactly listeners um, alright let's get cracking because we've got to get through the issue and talk about the big stories and there's a lot of good stuff in this one so the cover story um, is uh, a new Alpine hot hatch. So the cover line is Return of the R5 Turbo, which is using a little bit of artistic licensing as it's not actually Renault and it's definitely not turbocharged. But that's what Alpine are doing. They're just using artistic license with a whole car. Yeah. They're riffing off some old glories and, you know, 
bringing it back for a new generation. No, right? th- this is where brands go now. They're just separating their sporty bits to make them their own brand because that's mm-hmm. another way to just kind of cash in. So yeah, 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 exactly. It's the same as Cupra and say uh, off. Yeah. So I don't want to get too deep into this, but basically the the new Renault Five electric version of the Renault Five that's going to be an affordable electric super mini. It's going to launch beginning of next year. This is the hot hatch version of that, which is going to be all branded up as an Alpine. Um, and really this this is a concept that previews it essentially. Yeah. So it's like they've had go at the Renault Zoe, haven't they? The sort of the new small electric Renault and gone, nah, people didn't really go for that. So we'll do a futuristic one. Exactly. Yeah. We'll do a futuristic retro one and now a fast version of that. And yeah, yeah whole story's in the new Mac. No, but there it's quite go. interesting because only a few weeks ago I was doing that Renault 5 3E, the retro drifty oh, yeah. one, which is basically the same powertrain. This one's got uh, a, a single seat, three seat configuration, mm. which is not oh yeah, what, what, not what we expect. Yeah, this... you just forgot about that bit. <laughs> no, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So it's got a central driving position, a la McLaren F1 T50 Speedtail, um, which, to be honest, is just a bonkers touch for the uh, for the show car. Of course, that's not going to make production. But um, the the car that Rowan mentions is that that Turbo Three. But that was actually a um, an original sort of Renault Five shell in in the center wasn't it it's actually probably remolded out of carbon fiber no it's just it? all it's the same proportions yeah. so when you get in it you feel like you're in the old yeah, so car that, that was a kind of rear-wheel drive drift monster which we drove go to youtube look at the video of the renault turbo 3e yeah and Great. ivan muller and who's ivan. Uh, oh touring car legend yeah He's had a few Miller. Miller fruit corners since. Yeah, he's gone <laughs> away since the nineties. But he, he is—he's a man who can skid. He's a man who can skid. But Van uh, Muller, nice to hear that name again. So just quick straw poll: the Alp—it's called the Alpine uh, A two ninety underscore B. That's a terrible name. I thought that was Elon Musk kid. It's the A290 underscore beta, I think. Or beta. Or, yeah, beta's or a bit. Beta's <laughs> lager, isn't it? You can't, can't, can't call it that. The, yeah. beta. the beta. The beta. Alpha, beta, gamma. Uh, okay, well, I'm sorry, Greg. Well, it, thank you for correcting me. I only me. know that because it was extremely hard to find the button on the keyboard. Oh, <laughs> so it's, what, it's a B really with, the, with the line coming out yes, the bottom yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got an engineering degree as well. That's well a, yeah. a, a Greg Starfighter and Greek alphabet correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> so, straw poll, do you think it looks cool? Yes, yes, I do. I, especially from the rear, I think that's quite authentic. And we're, we're in a really interesting position now with these kind of faster... EV hot hatches because they're all coming. Mm. The 500 above that we'd recently just saw was the kind of step into it, mm. but there's a lot of synthesization because you know. Have you to... seen the size of the speaker hanging off the bottom of that thing to make yeah. it sound all rorty? But that's Mad. the thing they they can look cool, but are they going to have character? How are they going to drive? That's what we've got to find out in the next year. So that's what will be interesting. But this one looks like yeah, you know, the design department's done their job. Over to you, engineering is what you're saying. Yeah, and considering what we did with the Turbo 3E. And what that would do, yeah. that was quite fun. Although I, I don't want to, you know, wee on your chips here, Ro, but I think if it uses the same platform as the electric Megane, that's front-wheel drive. Um, so this is likely to have that engine from the Megane, uh, that motor rather, sort of 215, 220 horsepower, mm. front-wheel drive. So, I mean, it's in the slot. Of, that's okay. We uh, wanna, we'll just drive we it in reverse everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, we so, want a hot front-wheel also, drive Renault. We love a segue on the podcast. Allow me this one. 
Speaking of electric hot hatches, another video you can go to the YouTube uh, channel and check out. I went to the Arctic Circle and crashed Hyundai's Ionic 5N prototype. Not terribly, but I did rip off a lot of the disguise. That was part of my cunning plan. I want to see what this thing looks like, so I'll just bin it into a snowbank and most of the tape came off. But yeah, this is, Jack, like you were saying, it's another way that they're going to try and reinterpret this. But we're not talking 200 or 250 horsepower, 600 brake horsepower. It is a very, very different kind of hot hatch. And six tonnes, probably? Well, the ice was cracking as it was going along. <laughs> and 60,000 pounds, probably, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like 70, yeah. But 70 it's, you know, drift mode, it's got a torque kick function, so you can basically clutch kick it. It is almost idiot-proof, I would say. Not quite, but it's getting there. But yeah, we are entering... Yeah, very, very strange days for the hot hatch. So, um, yeah, well worth checking out the new issue to see which tribe you're in. Where do you stand on it? Right. Um, let's move on. So, um, we've got the uh, 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 Top Gear Guide to Retro, which is a really fun um, collection of different stories and, and little tidbits of information for you to get stuck into. We won't cover that here. Um Ollie Marriage has also been driving the Radford 62.2, which is what Jensen Button and Ann Adstead um, have, have been spending their time doing. Mm, that is um, retro design done right, isn't mm. it? Yeah, 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 it really is. So it's an Exige chassis, lengthened, I believe, and then um, kind of a homage to the uh, the Lotus 62. Um Lotus 62, Lotus Europa 62. Yeah, and there's also a full video of that on YouTube too because you need to see... Ollie Marriage is quite a skillful driver, we can yeah. all say. This is a very powerful car with no driver aids whatsoever. Yeah. And you're seeing Ollie work harder behind the wheel than I've seen him work in a long time. Yeah. Which is what Jensen says is what the buzz has got to be. It's got to be an old school experience. Yeah. He doesn't want stuff to get in the way and you know dampen your fun. What I love about the story is Jensen takes him takes ollie around the track in this car and ollie's sort of like silently fanboy fanboying on on jensen's driving style because you know he's famous for being so smooth and precise behind mm. the wheel so ollie's just there just like trying to assess the car but really he's assessing jensen's wheel work his gear shifts and everything and like oh it's like like no, butter no sideways <laughs> stuff from jensen was there left that to ollie oh, i no, think no, i mean he doesn't do sideways. yeah and all he did said is one of the hardest cars he's had to, to do it just because the front uprights etc but uh the trademark marriage bonds was glistening slightly by the end of that <laughs> yeah, film yeah. wasn't it hard work um and then uh the next feature um ollie q you might want to tell this uh tell us about this one um without a smug face yeah, this is on the list of very cool things I've been lucky enough to do. This is right up there. And it also let me do my favourite thing, which is nerding out. So I'll just come straight out with it. I went to the runway where they used to land the space shuttle at Cape Canaveral at the Kennedy Space Centre. And I drove the world's fastest road car down it, the Bugatti Chiron Supersport. Which isn't a bad thing to walk into a pub on a Friday night and say, oh, what have you done this week? This week? Yeah. Yeah. I went to see the space shuttle and drive a Shiron next to it at 200. What did you do? Well, can we get to that in a moment? Well, because oh, that sounds like there's disappointment coming. Hang on. Talk, talk about went to the space shuttle landing facility, drove the car, got the T-shirt. What's that you're wearing there, Holly Q? This is a slight bit of, uh, yeah, <laughs> a slight bit of merch <laughs> oh, going what? on here, for which I apologise. Space reservedly. nerd. Yeah, I, I make no apologies. He's wearing a NASA t-shirt, by the way. Sorry for this is an yeah, audio, yeah, yeah. Audio, <laughs> audio thing. And we're going to have to cover it up for the video just for BBC policy reasons because there are other, <laughs> are other space agencies in the world too that you could uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to the moon with. Other aeronautical associations are again. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, so this this came about because we got a little tip-off, didn't we, that um, the Bugatti Chiron, 
is about to retire. They've sold them all. This thing's going to go out of production. And our friend Mate Rimats, the Croatian electric car alchemist, if you like, he's now in charge of Bugatti, isn't it? So it's fair to assume that whatever replaces the Chiron, now they're all sold, might be a bit different. So Bugatti needs to kind of ring out some final um, adventures from its from its hypercar. And someone's there sussed out that only... Well, chaps, have a guess. How many people do you think in this car, which is famously easy to drive at very high speeds, how many people do you think have done 400 kilometres an hour, which is kind of what the Veyron was originally set up to do? Greg, how many people worldwide? Well, I remember that one chap on the autobahn who went very fast and got in yeah, trouble. Yeah, we don't so, uh, on the road. <laughs> I'd say 100, 150 people. Okay, yeah. Rowan? I, I, I thought how many cars could, have they built? There was 300 Veyrons, and I think the same number of Chirons. So there's probably five or 600 of these things out there. Because that's the thing. I thought you could buy a ticket where you can go and do it, which I assume, being a very wealthy person, you've bought this car. which is the Yeah, I think you've got off. a license to go to Air Elysium, which is Volkswagen's mm. super long test track you've seen on the telly show, and go and do it. But apparently not many people have taken it up. I reckon 50%. So let's say 150. Yeah, yeah, 150. Yeah, yeah, come on. 19. 19 people to Bugatti's knowledge, I have to say. So officially, we don't know what people have been doing on like, you know, the M6 toll road at three in the morning. But 19 people have done 400 kilometres an hour in this car. And given it's retiring, Bugatti thought, nah, we need to we need to pump those numbers. Those are rookie numbers. So where can you go really fast? You need a runway. The shuttle landing facility is 2.8 miles long. It's 15,000 feet. It's a really, really big runway as runways go. Okay, the runway at the Top Gear Test Track is about 1.3 miles with then like a little bit more runoff if you're really, really in trouble. So this is long. This is a big unit as runways go. And it's the perfect place, we thought, to to go quick. So they invited a load of billionaire owners to bring their bugs along and, um, yeah, go quick. And we got the tip off and I... Um, I headed over and wait. So went for Bugatti well. goes to send out a little RSVP on Facebook or something like that, saying, "Hey guys, does anyone want to go really fast?" And then they ship their car over to Florida. Uh, they didn't. Well, yeah. If you were US based, if you're an American based Bugatti owner, yeah, they would they would take your car, fly your car in, so you could do it. If you're an international guy, like there was one guy there from Singapore, there are a few guys there from Norway. Um, they had to slum it and drive the um, the demonstrator car, but they had a they had a selection. They had about ten Chirons there, so there was a real a mixture. It was it was, in, it was incredible. I've never seen a Bugatti. I've seen one Bugatti Chiron in real life before ever, and all of a sudden I saw ten. It was mind blowing. So go on then. There was uh, you. Uh, you donned your overalls. Yes, pair of brave had, to wear, pants. had to wear Bugatti overalls. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, this is because you're at a government facility. The amount of red tape makes the BBC look like the Wild West. Honestly, it was crazy. You had to wear a full face helmet because of the amount of flamingo-like birds that live nearby if they, you know, decide to take off just as you're oh, heading sorry, towards uh, them. Is that flamingos? No, no. What, they're, what's they're a flamingo-like bird? They're, they're small and they're <laughs> lanky and pink, but they're called spoonbills. They're a different thing. Oh, right. um, I thought uh, we were out about space, not birds. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's ornithology on the podcast as a whole Step thing. Step away got, from National Geographic. haven't even got to the alligators yet. They said if you see a speed bump on the runway, there's 5,000 alligators that live in the swamp next to where they built the runway. So that's a hazard. I remember that Conan's Talk about egg... snap oversteer. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, but I remember that, that, that Conan's egg <laughs> testing video 
It was like a Regera hit a speed bump at water speed and just jumped. Mm. That's one hell of a viral clip we could have got there <laughs> yeah, of yeah. hitting an alligator at 250 miles an hour. Yeah. So you have to wear you have to wear the full safety garb, got suited and booted. And you think, yeah, this this sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Just drive fast car in straight line. Boy, it was not simple. So you had to go and do two practice runs. <laughs> this sounds like there's excuses coming, readers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Racing driver excuses coming. So yeah, had to go and do two practice runs. You do a practice run up to 150 miles an hour, which feels like you're barely moving because this runway's so wide. It's 300 feet wide and it has a real camber to it as well. So you feel like you're kind of going around a banked corner almost. It's really odd. Um, 150 just to check that you know how to drive, basically. That was past that test. Good. Then I've never driven anything up to 200. Fastest I'd ever been before that day was 189 miles an hour in a R8 at Le Mans. Just waltzed up to 200, right? It was accelerating so fast at this point that when I lift, I saw 200 on the speedo and lifted off. In the time it t- took me to lift off, the car went up to 211 miles an hour. I think we forget just how quick a Chiron Supersport is. 211, the magic number. That's what we did on the uh, Autobahn. Mm. Oh, with you um, drove a Chiron yeah, Sport with, to yeah, the... Yeah, with, um, with Andy Wallace. Yeah, to the <laughs> Nürburgring. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's a video worth checking out. If you want to see... I'm going to pick you up here, Jack. If you want to see the finest save ever caught in pixels, yeah, look for a Top Gear Chiron Super Sport or the Nürburgring video because that was full-on squeaky bum time, wasn't it, Mr. Ricks? It was very, very, very squeaky, but I don't want to relive it now. <laughs> Sorry for bringing yeah, my that up. My adrenal gone gland white. has only just recovered. Yeah, it. if you're not watching the video stream, Jack's colours drained from his face. <laughs> um, yeah, so do 200. That's fine. That makes you respect the braking distances because they are quite lengthy. Um, they had put some flags up to tell you when to brake um, because they thought all the owners might get a bit competitive <laughs> and sort of push it a bit far. And then it was supposed to be, yeah, go for 250 miles an hour. That was the that was where the course was set up that you should, if everything went perfectly, you would cross the line at exactly 250 miles an hour, which is 402 kilometres per hour, I think. Job done. Go home for tea and champagne. Then the heavens opened because it's Florida and Florida is, as it turns out, a terrible place to build a runway for landing spacecraft. There's not any alligators and big birds, not Sesame Street ones, but pink ones. There's also like typhoons and hurricanes and mad weather and thunderstorms. And it's, it's a, it's just insane weather. So we had the runway flooded, has come back the following day. When we came back the following day, loads of owners coming in on private planes. And where do you think they wanted to land? So all of a sudden, the That's runway... That's cool. They is... got to land in their private planes on the shuttle landing facility. Yeah, which is where I'm supposed to be driving Yeah, forget about you. That <laughs> exactly. Is, that is, that is, and then you go to Disneyland afterwards, Disney World, whatever. That's not far up the road as well. Yeah. Oh, what a day. So, anyway, what a life. keep it, going. It, I'll wait to get to this disappointing number that you're going to Yeah, look, so we, yeah, we finally got to do it. And it was... it was. You'll, you'll see from the video that we're, we're working on now and we'll be out hopefully pretty soon um, that it was a very much... Like landing the shuttle. It was a one-shot deal. The whole I was doing loads of research into how the shuttle used to come into land there. And it wasn't like, you know, the play, a plane coming into land at Heathrow, where if, you know, it's a bit windy, you know, what's that guy who films Big planes, Jet TV? Big Jet yeah. TV, yeah, coming yeah. in going, go on, go on, son. No, it's not like that. If if you get it wrong on the shuttle landing, the thing's a glider. It's unpowered. Once the landing gear comes out, there's no way of putting it back up because that would have added hydraulics, which add weight. So if you get it wrong, the shuttle was having a really really the, the, bad the, the, day the pilot's nickname for it oh the, yeah this is great yeah so because <laughs> the descent rate of a of a shuttle is so fast it comes in really hot seven times faster than an airliner they used literally to call it, hot yeah mm. it literally comes in hot they used to call it the flying brick 
because it's it, it a mad thing if, if you're falling so you know a skydiver terminal velocity is 120 miles an hour okay? yeah. so if imagine you've just jumped out of a plane you're falling at 120 miles an hour I think I'm I going quick I have jumped out of a plane have you? yeah it's yes. quick there you go so you're going quick a shuttle would have come, come past you at 80 miles an hour it's falling at 200 miles an hour imagine that imagine you're free falling and then a shuttle would just go whoomph just straight past you <laughs> no from clapping. space yeah, yeah, yeah it's literally falling from space no so one's it's... clapping after that landing are they? <laughs> yeah and the only t- person that Felix Baumgartner who's probably been would, in this position where he's had a race falling out of a plane against you would the space definitely um, spill your bloody mary at those speeds wouldn't you if you're and, in and the you're first class in the nuts, yeah, yeah. The, so the, the thing even when it touched down even once it shaved off as much speed as it could with these big loops it was still doing 225 miles an hour when it touched down okay that's 100 miles an hour faster than an airliner touches down but and was it faster than Ollie Q went in the Bugatti Chiron right so here's my <laughs> here's my claim to fame I've been down the shuttle landing facility runway faster than a space shuttle has because it touched down at 225 I did 401 kilometers an hour which is 249 and a bit miles an hour oh, what which you, is a 250 what happened did you fall asleep it was very hot and I didn't get maximum power. Leave me alone. <laughs> so you can't, the, air, the air wasn't dense enough. Um, um, you can't make maximum power when it's warm. It basically, once it was about 28 degrees ambient temperature. Thanks for your sympathetic tone, Greg. I, <laughs> no, knew, it was, okay. I knew it was nice to have you on. <laughs> and um, yeah, because once, the, once apparently it's over like 20 degrees ambient, you're just not going to quite get maximum power, which, you know, okay, you've got 1600 horsepower, so you wouldn't think that a few horsepower matter. But when you're trying to push that amount of air out the way, it really matters. I remember hearing Andy Wallace, our good friends, talk about um, trying to do 300 in it. And it's that same sort of thing that you have to get every atmospheric condition just right. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, it was a little bit too hot. But still, one of the coolest things I've got to do. Oh, yeah. I loved it. There we go. Stick that on the CV. And I have to say, um, uh, fantastic as, as that story there was, that was behind the scenes, really, because the feature itself in the magazine is really quite different. There's a lot of this amazing history about the space shuttle and space in general and as i said to ollie q when i read the feature for the first time i went space is just cars but cooler isn't it bigger numbers just mind-blowing in every respect so um whereas uh your failure to hit 250 has been recorded in print for eternity um, there's also it's, it's it's just such a fascinating read just a quick one. It's annoying that the uh, Chiron's going into retirement because it is the coolest car for facts. You must have walked away this uh, from from this experience with a good Bugatti Chiron facts. There's got to be something about cost, oh. tires, power. Oh something yeah, like- tires, tires, definitely. So this runway is uh, like 2.8 miles long. Yeah, so it's you know let's call it six miles return trip once you've done a loop at the end. Once you've done 250 miles an hour, the tires are only, Michelin will only guarantee the tires for like 15 miles. So you do a practice run at 150 and back, 200 and back, 250 and back, change tyres, okay? So you've got to change the tyres basically every, like, you know, 15, 18 miles, whatever it is. And the tyres will appear unworn. Yeah. They're just not guaranteed. Because of the G-force, they've been subjected to 5,300 G, which is just, yeah, exactly. You can't wrap your head around that. So they have to change the tyres each time. And each one, Bugatti getting the tyres at cost, remember, not having to pay for any kind of markup, 13,000 pounds. That is a very, very expensive day out. Wait, so just to go 250 miles now, your bill from <clears throat> Quick Fit will be? About, well, it's 13 grand for the tyres and then you're fitting, you're balancing, probably about, round it up to 20 just to be on the safe get side. Cost, get get, get a free, free cup of tea from the machine in the waiting room though. So you got to factor that all in. Um, yeah, an amazing vehicle though. I, I, I do respect it enormously. 
Fantastic. Well, it's your turn now to be unsympathetic to Greg or however you want to be to him, because Greg, you uh, went off uh, jet setting to South Africa, but you were on a, a, a sort of humanitarian, actually it wasn't a humanitarian mission, you were on a mission to save the world really. Basically, it was very, yeah. very serious work, yeah. We we went to South Africa, The essentially the new Volkswagen Amarok is built in the Ford Ranger factory in South Africa in Pretoria. So we said, what can we do with it in its home market? Um, what can we do? We can go and save the rhinos. Save you know, the rhinos. Top Gear saving the rhinos. <laughs> Doing our good, our bit of good for the planet. Um, now, this is, I should just say, this is how an acorn of an idea, this began in a, we have our editorial get-togethers, our idea meetings, and uh, we said, oh, yeah, Amarok built in South Africa. Oh, we should go and drive it out there. There's a new one. Um, what should we do? Oh, what about some rhino conservation? Greg then has to hit the phones and and do what? Who who'd you, who'd you call to to go and help help the rhinos? Well, we knew the car was going to be in Cape Town for us and we'd have a week to basically find some rhinos. Um, so we, I basically went, where's Cape Town? Where's the nearest game reserves that have rhinos? Yeah. Four hours east of Cape Town is uh, Gondwana, which is a private reserve just outside Mossel Bay. Um, and they handily have a very, very strong anti-poaching unit and they use all this tech and they have uh, a real focus on anti-rhino poaching. Yeah. Don't so the, the tech you mentioned, um, there's a picture of it in the feature. It looks like Tinder for rhinos. Basically, <laughs> yes. It, it's like each rhino has a sort of profile name, what it's up to, what it likes. It's actually an app that was <laughs> developed for the World Cup in South Africa in 2010. Ah. And it was a security app at the time. Don't ask me what they used it for. They wouldn't tell us. Um, <laughs> right. Basically, it, they now, a lot of the game reserves in South Africa now use it as a rhino tracking app. So they have all of their details. Every time they see them, they will log it in the app and that will keep a sort of map of where their rhinos are in the reserve and what condition they're in. And, and how big a problem is this? Like, is rhino poaching like a really, really major issue? It's South a Africa? massive problem, especially in South Africa. Um and the surrounding countries. Um, essentially, it's huge business. Rhino horn is worth more than uh, gold or cocaine in sort of weight uh, per kilogram. So the people that are trading that sort of stuff are also trading rhino horn. I did notice you're wearing a really skin. nice new kind of ivory necklace there. Greg. Yeah, where did you get that <laughs> from? Yes, that while I was out there. No. <laughs> it's that was a joke, everybody. <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, Again, it's an audio platform. But, so we, we should just say that so people are trying to kill rhinos for their horns what because they've got some completely erroneous belief that it brings eternal yeah, life yeah, yeah. in medicine yeah. well the main thing in, in a rhino horn is keratin and that is your fingernails so you know if you want to make a lot of money your chew your fingernails <laughs> yeah yeah there is no reason to it is an, an old myth that rhino horn is used well it is used in medicine but it's it an has old no myth benefit whatsoever has benefits yeah. so as a result there's now basically a paramilitary force who you went and embedded yourself with to protect these amazing yeah. creatures well, from evil people <clears throat> well that was what i was going to ask actually what what does rhino preservation entail because in my head as you said paramilitary force just marching around endless planes with machine guns just looking for poachers but it's probably a bit more sophisticated than yeah that. that's what i had imagined <laughs> i had imagined that we would be out with sort of Live ammunition, yeah. head to head with poachers, yeah, yeah. which we want in the back of the Amarok. That's yeah, what we yeah. want. We want a yeah, shot yeah. with men with guns in the back of an Amarok, and then a rhino. It was quite a lot more techy than that, I yeah. have to say. And also, 
off the back of Q's feature, which was a lot of jeopardy and Willie hit 250 miles an hour. Mm. He, we didn't, had, he didn't. He didn't. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had Never no jeopardy whatsoever. We arrived at Gondwana and they have so much tech and capability to track their rhinos that within the first hour of our shoot, Johnny Fleetwood, the photographer, had the rhino and the Amarok in a picture together. And we were like, great, features in the bag. Had the money shot. Yeah. Which is great because what was the, what did I tell you just before you set off to South Africa? No rhino, no feature, I think That's right. the words. No rhino, no feature. So I roll. I said, I want that car next to a rhino. I don't remember Greg. that Bob Marley lyric. <laughs> <laughs> no rhino, no feature. That's the management we get before we head off to do these life-threatening features. If you don't come back with a great big, you know, African legend of an animal you, you in the camera. You did actually send us uh, not on, printing the, it. on the group WhatsApp uh, a, a sort of phone shot of the back of Johnny's camera, wasn't it? Saying, yeah, we've yeah. got it. Yeah. Look, show that to Jack. We've got the rhino next to a car. And then the good work could begin. Because yes. you knew that the feature was secure. Well, that was excellent. So we sort of, we had it in the bag and we'd seen the rhinos and then we could go off and see the tech. So we did the radio tracking with the guys in the back of the Amarok in the, with the antenna up and everything you see on wildlife programs on telly. And you're, you're, you're close. There's, there's a few, I'm looking at the feature now in front of me. You're, the car is parked right near them. What is, is the danger real? Would they charge you? The guys in the anti-poaching unit know these rhinos so well that they know, basically, it's as soon as the tail goes up, you've got to get out of there yeah, or yeah. stay completely swipe left, still. Swipe left, swipe yeah. left. <laughs> so they know them so well <laughs> that you're not you're not really in danger. But I, I was wary of giving VW the Amarok back with a hole in the side. But on that note, so pickup trucks the huge business in Africa backies they're called over there yeah, aren't they backy. uh big big market and you need them and i assume the planes that you were surveying uh you required the abilities of a you know a four wheel drive amarok absolutely yes this new amarok the amarok's always been the slightly posher pickup truck in the range, I know Mercedes came along with the X Class, which was a Navara, and then yeah. went away. But this mm. one looks super smart, doesn't it? And how has it evolved, and how was it to drive? Yeah, so it, as a, of a new deal, it's now a Ford Ranger underneath, so it's very, very similar to a Ranger. It even has the same screen God, inside. They like this cross pollination, don't they? The yeah, market. but. It is, it is still a posh pickup. We had the Panamericana edition, which is the off-roady one. Um, so big tyres, bright beige paintwork, I think they call it. Um, and locking diffs, selectable four-wheel drive, all of that. So and it's still the real deal. So it's so still the real deal. It didn't get stuck. It didn't feel like you'd basically taken like a Nissan Qashqai to the bush. No, and I absolutely loved it. Proper three-litre V6 diesel, brawny. It was, yeah, a fantastic thing. And what did the um, what did your, your your new colleagues think of it? Did they think, yeah, this would this would work for us, or did they think it was a bit too posh and glitzy? They for thought them? it was very posh. They're, it was. So what were they driving? What were they, they driving? were driving a Ranger. Um, that they actually had a Hilux, which was in for repair, which never happened. What? Oh my god! Yeah. Wow, they, Scoop. Yeah. the world <laughs> stops. Yeah. No, the world stopped spinning on that day. They yeah. did say that they preferred the Toyota to their Ranger, but it was in for repair. Yeah, oh, the world's first ever Hilux that has gone wrong in any way but but, so, but these are one of those features where it's so brilliant to tell another story using a car that there's so much more going on yeah. and just it just shows the access that a car can give you and yeah what a great cause really and rhinos are just cool I'd yeah and i think yeah. fair play to greg because we've just been said oh i was you know brave and took risks trying to go fast on a runway but greg literally went to a kind of lawless game reserve where there's guys going around with ak-47s and animals that could charge you and 
you know, went and took some absolutely gorgeous pictures. So yeah, yeah, props yeah. to Johnny for well, the pictures. It's, uh, yeah. Well if, worth picking up. If you're into your wildlife, it's not just rhinos. There's elephants here. There's a cheetah. Yeah. And then there's a sign saying, beware of the lions, but uh, you clearly didn't find any. That lions. is as close to the lions <laughs> as we got. Yeah. You can use Google images yeah. if you'd like <laughs> right. to. All right. Fantastic stuff. Um, so the other feature that's in this issue is a an exclusive passenger ride in the new Gordon Murray T50. But that was so much fun. And there's so much detail to that story that we're actually going to give that whole separate podcast um, to itself. Um, which should be live as we speak. Either way, check out the feed and make sure you listen to that. Um, there's also a big triple test, another um, Ollie marriage feature when he was last in America, um, Corvette Z06. Um, it's brilliantly done, actually, because the Z06 is all about its engine. It's got this super high-revving, naturally aspirated V8, which is very European in its character rather than the big sort of grumbly, talky American V8. Little flat plane crank number. Little flat good. plane Sounds crank number. Sounds more Italian than American. They benchmarked the Ferrari 458 and it doesn't come, well, benchmarks don't come much higher than that. Exactly. So, Ollie actually got a Ferrari 458, which um, they don't have on press fleets anymore. So, I think he borrowed one off a dealer. It was the proper Florida dentist spec. Yes. It, was, it had, it had uh, chrome wheels, chrome. which you just don't see <laughs> on, on European Ferraris, no. which is fantastic. Uh, and then, and also a Porsche uh, 911 GT3, which is the benchmark for, you know, these the hardcore sort of supercar class. So it's uh, another spectacular feature um, that you need to check out. Proper grudge match, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Get your side. Yeah. yeah. Proper engine debate. Yeah, I won't give away the result, but that Z06 sounds like a hell of a thing, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. Hell of a thing, if you can get over the way it looks. Which I can't. Okay. Sorry, Americans. <laughs> um, all right, so um, uh, that's probably enough from the issue. Um, oh, wait, no, come on. Let's just talk about the retro story, because it is cool. Oh, if you're into your, yes. your Japanese... Uh, how could I forget? So this is uh, Mark Riccioni, uh, who was in Japan recently, and... Uh, succeeded where lots and lots of uh, journalists and influencers have failed in getting access to a very secretive man who um, basically has the, one of the biggest Subaru collections in the world. He calls it Fuji Heavy Disease that he has. Um, he's a, totally obsessed with Subarus, has to have one. Um, it, it was originally um, Impressors that he collected, and then he sold a load, load of those off, kept the good ones, and then started collecting, collecting the wider kind of Subaru portfolio. But the genius of this story is he keeps all his cars in in a public underground multi-story car park he just buys 50 spaces and that's where he keeps them but if you're into your kind of really niche really rare japanese stuff this is proper fodder yeah. oh yeah and yeah. uh yeah it's insane collector personified which is absolutely brilliant and we you know you just have to clap your hands yeah. to this man and, and you want you want to know his master stroke so there, there's a photo on the on the, the on the second page of this feature which is the collector standing next to his cars arms folded sunglasses on now the reason he's got sunglasses on is because he said to mark through a translator he said look i'm very secretive i'm not doing this for the publicity or the fame or for anything other than just the joy of collecting these cars um but if you would like a photo of me then i want to make sure that my identity is disguised so hang on a minute puts on his sunglasses 
right off you go. And they're, pro- <laughs> they're, and they're proper 1990s spec, like speed dealers, as they would say I mean, in Australia. We laugh, but that worked for Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> no one says that he was Superman. <laughs> they weren't even sunglasses. They, yeah, were, exactly. they were clear prescription glasses. Anyway, so make sure you check that out um, as well. Fantastic story. Um, should we have a quiz? Do you fancy yeah, it? Let's, should, let's we, wrap should we indoctrinate it up. Uh, Greg into the into the way of the quiz. I'll give it a go. Are you ready to are you ready to have all, every fibre of your brain tested and teased? Yes, I am. Well, well th- after you were both so rude about my failure to do 250 miles an hour, I feel like Greg might have a good shout at this quiz. <laughs> so what are we doing? 249.6. This... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, that's enough. I'll just stop accelerating at that point. <laughs> and that's easy doing a football pitch every second. <laughs> oh, right? yeah, yeah. If I've left oh, it a second longer, I've been in the Atlantic the Ocean. Honestly, right, go these on non-astronauts. So this... <laughs> what's your random collection of nine things? I started thinking about what's the most amount of money you can pay for the least car? And I went down a rabbit hole of Top Gear's top nine most expensive small cars. What's the maddest amount of money that you could spend either now, currently, today, or in the past for a teeny tiny car. And since you're sat next to me, Jack, and you've had the least time to think about it, I think you should go first. So, right. Here we go. Now I have to clarify everything. All the listeners have got it. But no, Jack's no, no. looking for a what technicality. What small? <sighs> Not big. <Okay. laughs> Not big. Interpret it, right. So there's a car I remember. It's uh, a while ago. It was a Mini. I think it was a collaboration between Mini and Rolls-Royce where they basically took a Mini and gave it and got Rolls-Royce to trim out the interior. It's called a Mini Goodwood, I believe. Um, cost, I think it was in the order of 50, 60K or something for a Mini with a lot of soft leather inside it, if I recall. Jack, you're straight off the mark with a correct answer. You are talking about, well, it was a Mini That's with done, some... Greg. That's how it's done, Greg. <laughs> it was a Mini with some good wood. It was the Mini inspired by Goodwood. They weren't actually allowed to put Rolls-Royce on it, I think, that... You know, Rolls-Royce would have got a bit snotty about that. But it didn't have a flying lady on the front. But yeah, you're exactly right. Walnut trim, actual polished walnut, lovely plush Rolls-Royce leather. Um, But actually, you would have got ripped off, mate, because it was only 41 thousand pounds back in 2012 I mean, that's literally the price of an electric mini these days isn't it yeah so there you go yeah. so that, yeah. that's a bit of a used gem if you're kicking tires on a on a used mini these days and you think hmm this just smells remarkably expensive inside it might be a goodwood one that's Snap what i mean up. what happens to these on the second-hand car market because they're just specs which people aren't probably searching out and they'll just be rogue gems i'm around. pretty sure it was your um green paint tan tan leather green over tan as well that's the internet's the internet's vibe Right, is it me up next? Or is Greg going to have a shot? Uh, no, I'm going to let Greg have more Oof. thinking time. Rowan, oh. you go. Well, it was quite an iconic small... When small when things were getting small, when everyone was chasing CO2. Remember Aston Martin's Signet? <laughs> who can't? Who can't forget that? You know, the Toyota IQ that's been rebadged and retrimmed to be all Aston Martin-y. I think that was about 50 grand 10 years ago. Uh, thir- thir- no, it was like 35. Oh, I can't remember. I'm going to dive in. No, no, don't, t- don't worry. Don't worry. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to better that. I'm going to better that. Go on, Greg. Go on. Fact check me. No, no. Go on. I drove that Signet V8. Remember that? Oh, uh, okay. the advantages. Oh, yeah. and so which, it was the, the naturally aspirated was the 4.7 V8. The, the hottest car in the world, because obviously you don't put a V8 normally next <laughs> to where, you, where your passenger normally is. And I drove in the centre of London and sweated myself basically to death. But that was a one-off commission. That's a very small car. I hope that fits within the parameters. So hang on, of, is that one answer or two answers? One answer. 
it's going to be a right v, one. Sydney yeah. V8. I reckon that. I think that was a quarter of a million quid. What he paid True, but run out of his misery. It is a correct answer. Yes. The one-off well Aston Martin Signet V8. You're exactly right. Yeah, the Signet was a bizarre thing. Take a Toyota IQ, different wheels, different headlights, some tarted up leather, and charge thirty. £1,000 when it was new. I mean, people thought that was an April Fool's gig. But this, you know, then someone asked for one with a V8 Vantage engine in it. And um, yeah, I was reading back from when you did that, um, the, the brilliant feature of lapping the congestion charge zone in the perfect city car. If you wanted to commission another one of these, there's a, you know, when you get like a wide ranging estimate, Aston Martin say, if you want another one, it would cost between 250,000 and £500,000. Which That's means the ballpark. 500. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I think right. half a million quid for two metres of car. Mm. That's a lot of money for not a lot of metal. So we'll what give was you quite that funny, one. we did that feature, I don't know, it must be about six years ago now. And then a few years later, we got all the collections of all the Aston Martin, all the rare one off Aston Martins together, which you can see on YouTube too. And uh, I said to them, oh, so how much, is it? you know, I drove this a couple of years ago. How often has the owner driven it? And they said, never. So I was the you last know. person to drive it too. <laughs> no. I've driven it more than he has. So, oh, man. Yeah. There's an Space interesting metric there, though, that cost per metre. So this is 250 grand oh, per metre. Yeah, which car offers the best value per metre? A very long, very cheap car. Oh, it'll have to be like a Dacia. Jogger. The, yeah, the yeah. Jogger, yeah. Because that's enormous, but costs like 20p. Yeah, or a Skoda Superb. Mm. Well, it could be the Defender 130, just because it is so long. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps on going, yeah. Still, it costs 100 grand, but yeah. there's so many metres. It's got longer yeah. rear overhang than an American school bus, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right, Greg. over to Greg. Okay. Welcome to the Top 9 Quiz. I'm going to stick with a special edition route. Uh... And I'm going to say the smart crossblade because I actually saw one the other day in Whoa. London. Someone driving one with Ferrari badges on it, which was uh, interesting. <laughs> but the crossblade was the windscreenless, doorless, smart four two. I think Roofless. it had little. It was, it was like little sort of barriers to yeah, stop you to falling, stop you falling out, out. But essentially, no doors. Yeah. Fun fact: that was Tom Wookie Ford's wedding car. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Something borrowed. <laughs> yes, exactly. His wife was delighted, wasn't she? Where's the Rolls Royce? Also, top 90s fact, once owned by Robbie Williams. Um, let me entertain you. That is not the correct answer. <laughs> oh. It wasn't on my list. Sorry, oh, Greg. Um, you are not an angel. But that is a... Oh dear, let's not go down this... Um... Well, let's not go down the waterfall. <laughs> oh. Wherever it may take you. What are we talking about? The smart crossplay. Um, I mean, that was kind of ahead of its time, wasn't it? Now, there's loads of money from, you know, Ferrari, Aston Martin, McLaren will sell you cars with chopped windscreen and no roof. Smart were there ages ago. Um, That's a a well-remembered, Greg, and I'm sorry that on your top nine debut, you've not been awarded a point. You get another attempt, though, so it's okay. Oh, yeah, second guess. Go on, Jack. Um, I'm now thinking just small. What are the really, really teeny, tiny cars? I've, I've basically, part of me wants to guess at some super rare matchbox car that sold at auction for a million quid but i don't have any specific knowledge of that event it's just a random stab in the dark so why don't we go for the uh the car that clarkson famously drove around the top gear office um but then latterly dan reed did a brilliant feature with in america mm. um I know where you're going for, with for top gear magazine where he drove it around the supermarket and that photo that I just can't forget of him driving down the highway with with the American big rig behind him just swallowing the frame mm. behind him um, the Peel P50 Peel P50 
is a correct answer. Jack, you are two for two. Now, this was not actually that expensive when it was new, but the reason I've put it in the list is I started looking into the peel. You think small car, and it doesn't get much smaller than a peel. You can pick it up and carry it. But because they only ever built fewer than 200, I think 192 were made. So it's way rarer to start with than, you know, like a LaFerrari or a McLaren P1. But there's way fewer than that around today. So the most recent auction values have tripped over six figures. If you want a PLP 50 now, like, you know, Jeremy Clarkson did that legendary film on Tokyo all those years ago, you want to recreate that. You're looking at 120,000 quid. I mean, that's about as small as cars get. And you're talking like big, big money now. That would not do well in our price per meter game absolutely not yeah. no, no, i think but, that would uh, be the overall winner another funny feature that we did with one of those is ollie marriage and i went to the isle of man with one it was put in the back of a van and we had to borrow it from a museum uh whether because they were going up in, in value and it cost a fortune to ensure for basically what is a matchbox um where it um failed to start as soon as we got to the isle of man so we didn't know what to do we'd taken it all the way there and we had to drive it and we had to get it going but <clears throat> we, we had to wait for a mechanic we thought oh let's not waste time the Isle of Man's famous for its mountain. Where just all the pushed down the hill. So we took it to the top of the hill, we put Ollie in it, and then we just we <laughs> threw him off, and we had the tracking car in front, and then he just had to stay on the brakes, because he had no engine braking or nothing. Yeah. He was just on the brakes. Have you seen the front tyres and the size of the wheels of a P50? So it basically like a has... a little car. No, it has, like, mountain bike, like, brake discs. Yeah. And then we sent him all the way down the mountain. I've never smelt brakes quite like it <laughs> and he had a complete brake failure at the end and he said it's the most terrifying experience because it has one-to-one steering and he just had to keep going but we got a fantastic tracking shot of it looking like it's doing a thousand miles an hour down the, the Isle of Man mountain lovely but, if yeah, you do want kooky car yeah if you want to relive what Rowan just said um, and you haven't got 120 grand like everything the PLP50 has now been electro resto modded so you can actually buy electrified versions of it built under license that are around sort of 12 15 grand I think so there you go top tip Go and buy an electric P50. Hang on, and just um, buy an electric one, rip, rip out the batteries, put put the engine back in. Put a chainsaw engine in. 120 <laughs> grand. Not Sorry, to there's a business wars. opportunity here. Let's move on. Probably I'll, only I'll a couple of double A's. Right. Uh, right, next guess. So, probably one of the most popular, aside from the many small cars, and mm. no matter how rich you are, some people like small cars to have in their city. The Fiat 500, there's been loads of special editions, and I don't know which one is more expensive, but there was that. Was it 695 Tributo Ferrari one, which I know was about 10, 15 mm. years ago, which was 40-odd grand. The Biposto. Then there's the Biposto with the silly dog leg gearbox, dog box thing, mm. where I think was, was it was like 15 grand just for the gearbox. Mm. So I don't know which is more expensive, but there's got to be an expensive. You've got to pick, pick one. I have to accept one answer. Let's just say, let's think about, let's know, let's think about Ferrari licensing, etc. <laughs> let's go down the Ferrari route, because I know that they were about 40 That was grand. a good decision, Rowan. That's the correct answer. You're exactly right. There are a lot of Fiat 500 versions I could have chosen. The Biposto, as you say, was the more expensive one with, yeah, Biposto, two seats, I think that means, isn't it? And uh, the, the, the silly gearbox. But yeah, the 695 Tributo Ferrari painted Rosso Corsa, had paddle shift gearbox, and there was 150 that came to the UK, they sold them all for thirty-seven and a half thousand pounds. And like you say, this is like yeah, well over a decade ago. And yet, do you know how many Ferrari badges it had on it? Not one. Really? Wasn't allowed to have any Ferrari actual badges on it. it had the Scuderia stripes, had the right colour, but only Scorpion badges, no prancing horses. Again, do people care of the second-hand car market now? Are they still holding their value? It's probably or not? some with L plates on now, aren't they? Yeah, we'll have to see. Well, they've gone up in value. Right now. 
Greg, I don't want to put any pressure on you on your top nine debut, but the other two gents have both got two correct answers. What? So to save face, you need to be getting one of these right. Okay, well, I'm going to stick with the Ferrari theme, something that does actually have Ferrari badges on it, hmm. which is the little car company's little <gasps> oh, Testarossa J that you, Ollie Q, genius. set a Fiorano lap record in. Oh, so I can, it must I can be save on some face. Oh, yeah, I haven't done 250 miles an hour, but I am the electric lap record holder at Fiorano. That Check out the video on, on YouTube. The uh, well, I mean... 90,000 pounds, I think. 100,000 pounds, it's expensive. It is, as we know, small. It ticks all the criteria. So, Greg... It's not on the list. Incorrect. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Greg, yeah, what you'll discover with these top nines is we will come up with, well, all my guesses are brilliant. Of course. Um, but they're not always on the list um, because regular you know, listeners will know that Jack is currently lying. So we'll interrupt <laughs> him and say, Greg, that is a, a perfectly legitimate answer that I forgot when compiling this. But um, if you want to see what else is on there, including the smarts that did appear, um, head over to topgear.com or just Google Top Gear's top nine really expensive small cars. Yeah, so sorry about that, Greg. Nice first effort, but you know, you're up against two grizzled old pros here at that game. Season okay, so, so, improve you know, next time. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good, at, good attitude. Pick yourself up the, off the floor, dust yourself off, and go again. That's our Greg. Um, <laughs> all right, so we'll wrap it up there. Um, what else should we be telling people about, Ro? We should be telling them to go and hit all our social channels. But again, like we said, uh, right, re, 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 I can't even speak anymore. Yeah. Full of snot. So basically, <laughs> we've got to um, rate and review us if you can. But also check out our Instagram channel, our Facebook, Twitter, etc. And on the YouTube channel, there's just so much content that's just been pumped up there in the yeah. last month. Pretty much everything we've spoken about today is there is a youtube video of that make sure you go and check out the channel there's just tons and tons of content on there and by the time this podcast goes out there'll probably be a load more even more and seeing as we're talking about the magazine make sure you get out there and pick up uh, a copy of the magazine with the alpine on the front cover return of the renault 5 turbo doesn't get more exciting than that that, is a corking issue this month i know we're always proud when we put the magazine to bed and we get to work on the next one but it is jammed with great stuff this month treat yourself six quid go and get one wait should we just leave with a final poll question for them because it was what we debated and it's the cover star are you dear listener excited about electric hot hatches it's a simple one yes or no it's in spotify open the app up you'll see the poll and uh let's know what you think Mm. nice all right um let's know your comments and we'll catch you on the next one thanks for listening bye (laughs) so wait can we just do that last bit again Oh, I can't even remember what, to say. what were we going to say? <laughs> no, no. I'll just go. Okay, all right, that's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.